Our guest today on Quicksland this morning is Rebecca Gibson, who is a family nurse practitioner. And along with your practice, you've had a pretty busy summer. What's all been going on for you? Well, um, I am finishing up my doctorate program um, through Resurrection University in Chicago, Illinois. So um, I just was putting together my last bit of research that I did and uh, compiling it into a manuscript to try and get published. So what does this mean as far as your credentials go moving forward once all this is taken care of? Um, when you get your doctorate um, in nursing practice, they focus a lot on research. So I've already been practicing as an advanced practice nurse for uh, about 20 years, uh, but a lot more focus on research-based uh, practice um, and moving forward with that. And then trying to get uh, into being more of an advocate and, and having myself out there um, now that my kids are older, I have uh, a little bit more time to get involved in um, things where I can advocate for people and um, help serve the community in, in a better way. All right. So, Rebecca, talk to us about the doctoral program and the research. What have you been looking into? Well, I've been practicing. Well, I practiced as a registered nurse for five years on an oncology unit at Ellis Michelle. And I left that when I got my master's and started working in general practice uh, with underserved uh, communities. Um, I took a position about three years ago um, at Central Methodist um, University, and that's who's been paying for my doctorate work um, with teaching new registered nurses and nursing students um, about how to take care of people. And so three years ago, I found myself back on a floor at the university hospital where I had been. Um, and we've come so far in so many places since the last time I stepped on a floor. But there was this just um, really situation that really took me aback that we haven't advanced in um, an area. And it was it was pretty troubling to me because I teach the psych class to the um, the psychological nursing class to my nursing students. And when I got on that floor, it's like we hadn't advanced in the care of patients with psychiatric illness. Um, as far as on a general floor, um, how they're treated, the stigma that's around those patients. Um, so that kind of, when they when I they wanted me to do a project and research, they wanted you to, to pick something you're really passionate about. And that is something I'm really passionate about. I mean, we advocate for so many different groups of people. And unfortunately, people who have mental illness sometimes can't voice. Um, they have issues sometimes with being able to uh, make decisions and um, maybe voice how they're feeling. And they may come ac across in such a way that they're easily discriminated against. And that's one thing when I stepped back on the floor, I felt like I was, it was 1998 again, and we hadn't gotten anywhere uh, from what I was seeing. So um, I started doing some literature review on how to decrease stigma in nursing students and a way to measure it. And so then I focused on creating a tool to teach um, nursing students and then could re-measure if that had any impact on their stigma. So what did you find out? How do we address this moving forward? Well, education is the key. It's interesting because um, the scale I used, if you can get a decrease um, in how they rate things, that's showing that we've decreased stigma. So I was able to drop by five points from 
30 or from 35 to about 29 was their ratings. Um, but when I got done in January with my three groups, I used MACC. Thank goodness they, they were helpful to me, along with Central Methodist, the nursing student. Um, I was able to see such an impact. Um, I'd already done all the work, so I amended my application to the IRB to open it up to the general public just to see what I would get. Um, so through social media and through um, both of the places that I work, I was able to get about another 20 people to do the research that weren't nursing students, and I had the exact same results. They dropped from um, 35 to 29, um, their stigma levels, and pretty consistently in the same questions. Um, so the, the, the education that I did really helped educate people in specific areas and decrease that stigma. Um, so education is the key, um, it, but I found that it needs to be, you know, specific and there's certain things that work better than others. Rebecca, from a practical standpoint, what do we tell the general public about decreasing the stigma about mental health? I think it's just so stigmatized in like the media and in movies. Um, one of the biggest things that people were ranking is that they felt like people with mental illness were violent and that's very untrue. In fact, people with mental illness are much more likely to uh, be the victims of violence than to be violent. Um, so for people to understand that um, that's not true um, and that we actually need to advocate and help uh, to make sure that people with mental illness aren't taken advantage of or victims. Um, another thing was that people just aren't comfortable talking about it. They're not comfortable admitting that they have it. Um, they're not maybe comfortable working with people who have mental illness. Um, I was able to teach and show that people with mental illness are uh, just as reliable as other people, that they can recover, um, that, you know, it's important to talk to them um, and to have the same type of conversations that you'd have with anybody that has any uh, physical illness. Is it important, too, when you take this back either to your practice or someone else's family practice to realize that, hey, mental health issues need to be addressed along with the physical ones? Definitely. And I think what I found in research was that a lot of people want to think that it's something that can be controlled. So I really focused a lot on that mental illness is an illness of the brain, and it's just like every other physical illness. There's actually research from John Hopkins University, because I focused a lot on suicide, um, that they have a gene that they found that with 90% accuracy could say whether somebody has had suicidal thoughts or uh, has been suicidal. So um, that's a gene that plays on impulses. It, it plays on negative thinking. Um, so if, if we can get people to understand that mental illness is not something that people choose. It's not something they can control. They can't just snap out of it. Um, that maybe they can start treating people with mental illness like they do people with cancer, people with heart disease, trying to find ways to help them uh, versus uh, stereotyping or wanting them just to snap out of it. Is it important for folks in the public to realize, hey, there is nothing wrong with reaching out, reaching out and asking for help? Exactly. That's another thing. It's very, uh, very consistently people do not want to get help for mental, for mental illness because they don't want to be stigmatized. Um, for depression, people will wait seven years, research shows, before they'll get help because um, they just don't want that stigma that's tied to it. Um, or maybe they don't have the motivation or uh, the resources to get help. 
those people in their lives that uh, see that, recognize that, you know, start looking um, and, and help them and let them know that it's okay to get help. Um, because if you saw somebody with a big tumor on their neck, you're not going to just dismiss that. Um, you're going to tell them or try to help them to find ways to get better. Is it important, too, to find ways to make insurance companies and the Medicare, Medicaid programs uh, address mental health issues and be more friendly to coverage? You know, we've come a long way, and part of with me getting my doctorate would be that I could maybe um, advise. Um, I have talked to uh, one politician to, to talk to people about what needs to happen. Unfortunately, um, you know, when we go to cutting things, you know, mental health is sometimes one of the things that gets cut. But I've really seen that services have been getting more, you know, as I've come over time um, and reimbursements getting better. Um, but there's always room for improvement. Right now, the mortality gap for somebody who has mental illness is about 10 to 20 percent higher than the general population. So people with mental illness are going to die um, at a lot earlier age. Some of it's from not getting help. Some of it's from not getting proper help um, or not knowing how to navigate the system. Rebecca, I have a good friend who's a doctor dealing a lot in mental health issues, and he made the point to me when I first talked to him about 10 years ago, it's as important for someone to get a mental health checkup every year as it is for them to get a physical checkup. Would you agree with that? Oh, definitely, definitely. And it's something that's not happening. So, And typically, just like any other illness, as soon as you start to exhibit signs of it, you need to start treatment because it will become more entrenched. You'll have more side effects and problems from not getting early treatment. So, you know, like I said, that person waiting seven years to get treatment for depression is going to have a lot harder time getting back to their where they were before it started than somebody who maybe would or could recognize it um, at the first sign of that depression and start getting help. All right. So... What is your biggest takeaway from the research you've done? That we cannot um, advocate enough. We cannot teach enough. I think one of the things I looked at, like when I was um, at Ellis in 1998, we really didn't know a lot about HIV. We didn't know a lot about, um, you know, that illness. And, and, and the people it was affecting were people who um, were easily discriminated against. But we've come so far in if we could somehow campaign for our mental, mental health patients to get that same kind of um, education out there to people, that we could really impact a lot of lives um, just simply by having a campaign that teaches people about mental illness and decreases the stigma around it. All right. So what is the next step for you? Research is taken care of. What do you do next to get your doctorate finalized? Well, by the end of the summer, I'll have a manuscript that I've written um, of what I've done over this last uh, six semesters uh, focused on this research. But the disseminating, getting these results out to, the, to people who um, are interested and just out to the general public. So I'm just going to – I have a blog that I started on Tumblr uh, where I post, you know, regularly about um, education on mental health. Um, I've got a couple podcasts I'm working on that I'm going to put on that too. Um, I'm going to try in my mental health class with my nursing students, have them compile each semester, um, make their own blog, make their own podcast, and then 
the ones that um, I feel like or the other students feel like are the most um, uh, make can make the most impact, I'll put on that um, Tumblr account. So basically, I'm just uh, to finish. I'm just going to put every, compile everything together and then try to get my results out there um, and hopefully impact um, you know people thinking. All right, Rebecca Gibson, she's joined us today on Quicksland this morning.